Reading, short and deep. Hi, I'm Jesse. And I'm Eric. And today we're reading short and deep, the wonderful Tar Baby story, and how Mr. Rabbit was too sharp for Mr. Fox, by Joel Chandler Harris. These are from his 1980, uh, sorry, 1881 collection. Uncle Remus, his songs and his sayings, the folklore of the old plantation. Um, and you, you were wondering, Eric, I guess, how we came to uh, to do this, and uh, before the podcast. And I think it's because I I was recommended that we read um, a sis Beck and Becky's Piccaninny, or at least some Charles W. Chestnut, and that got me to thinking about. Uh, this, you know, the old Tar Baby story and uh, the Briar Patch. And I I read them as a kid, I'm sure, or they were read to me. And uh, this is the original. And I, I, I think I was read the original, but I can't be sure. Huh. I, uh, I remember, lo these many years ago, actually having to read a, a volume of Joel Chandler Harris in a an American literature class in graduate school. Uh-huh. Uh, not because the teacher at the time thought of these stories as particularly deep, although I think they've got a lot going for them, mm-hmm. but because he wanted to focus on issues of reception and what does it mean to be authentic American literature. Mm. Uh, Joel Chandler Harris being a white child of Irish immigrants presumably telling authentic stories of black American slaves. Um, Harris was born before the Civil War and spent some time on plantations while slaves were still enslaved. Um, And yet, these are kind of happy tales. Uh, One has to wonder, were these happy tales that he overheard he was accepted on the uh, in the slave quarters. He was also an outcast with his his red Irish hair, uh, which was looked down on. Uh, and he was poor, um, and so he was. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe a little bit like Mr. Fox, <laughs> <laughs> or 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 was he making this stuff up? Or I mean, it's just well. And is this what we would nowadays call appropriation? And was there something wrong with it? Um, so that was really one of the reasons that, that the book was included in our syllabus so that we could focus on who gets to tell American stories and what are American stories. Mm -hmm. But I think there's a lot more here and you don't have to think of all that other stuff to find it once you get into the story. Mm. I, um, I think that it's, it's interesting. You're saying like who gets to tell the story. Um, so I'm sure I'm sure I had some association with the movie adaptation. Um, I must I don't know if I saw it or I heard a record of it or but there was a movie adaptation by Disney in 1946 of the Uncle Remus stories and it's called Song of the South. This is a very popular Disney movie and it has never been released on VHS or DVD or laserdisc or Blu-ray or any form of home video release in fact i i don't think it's been screened since probably the 1970s 
on film, uh, you know, in a theater. And um, there are people, you know, in <laughs> within the Disney organization who want it released, and there are people who think it's inappropriate for it to be released um, based on the concerns that it's racist, the concerns that it's appropriation, all sorts of concerns. Um, but when you dig into, you know, the history behind that that release and and sort of the lack of popularity of, of these stories at the moment, um, I think a lot of it is about control and who, who gets to tell stories. But it's a lot of the worries are not from the people who you'd think sh- should be worried. A lot of the worries are from people who are worried because they don't want to be seen as racists. So, for example, Whoopi Goldberg apparently is trying to get uh, this movie released into some sort of home video so people can see it and have copies of it and watch it. And uh, in in my research, I found that apparently many mothers love reading these stories to their children. Um, and these are black families in the United States who read it because these are great stories. And they are written in a language that is familiar to them. And... I think it's it's just wonderful to get this incredible story that you have to really read aloud to 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 understand what's on the page, Re, reconstruct reconstructing it not as it you know in a uh, more easily digestible form, but in the actual as close as we can to having somebody sitting there and recording it. Joel Chandler Harris says in his biography, uh, his autobiography that that he memorized these stories and that um, he he was obsessed with with getting these stories into the world. Mark Twain uh, read them to his own children and, and thought uh, when Chandler Harris was uh, invited over to his house, his children were treating him like Uncle Remus and that the idea of him as becoming Uncle Remus in the way that the little boy presumably the little white boy in the in the story is uh delighted with the stories it's it's i think masterful storytelling and it's a shame and a a a horror that they are suppressed or hidden away for fears of racism because these are cartoons for kids before cartoons were invented this is bugs bunny and the road runner and all that stuff on the page. Jesse, Jesse um, putting aside Disney's adaptation, mm-hmm. how do you know that the little boy who is listening to Uncle Remus is white? Um, I'm I'm not sure. Uh, I think he's white because I think he's he's Chandler Harris. I also think uh, we there's a little bit of contextual evidence um, uh, in the in the text itself. So the fact he says Miss Sally, um, and of course it's in the um, it's in the the movie adaptation they've done it that way. But his his speech is different from the Uncle Remus character. He he the little boy talks with uh, I don't know colloquial Southern white American plantation accent. If if I'm reading it right, I, I see your point. Yeah. Um... 
Maybe. Maybe we're supposed to know he's white by his language, um, by his dialect, I should say. Um, and there, seem, there seems to be sort of a, uh, a roundabout way of, you know, the, the connecting material beti- between the stories in this first Uncle Remus collection has a sense that um, the boy's always being called away to dinner. So he's not, he's not the, you know, Uncle Remus's son. He's someone else's kid. And the fact that there's deference towards uh, whoever's calling him away, um, that comes up again and again. The, I'm not sure if these are supposed to be post, pro, in Reconstruction era, or they're, they're uh, pre-war era. I'm not sure. But I do think that that's the frame for it is that this is actually um it's not just it's basically transferring in a way that Grimm's fairy tales are um a spoken folk storytelling technique into into the text of so it can be distributed amongst other folks as well as the black folks i like that i like that i think that uh it's clear on the basis of structure that these are not uh, grim folktales. Um, it's they, they, it, somewhat like Grimm, but even further than the Grimm brothers are from the true oral folktale. Mm-hmm. Uh, from what we learned about that from Vladimir Propp's original analysis in the 1920s. Uh, but I, I do like your use of the word frame, and it brings us back to the question of appropriation. <clears throat> because when the boy is called away and leaves Uncle Remus's uh, domain, if we think of him going back to the white world, he's crossing back and forth. And Uncle Remus is crossing back and forth in the imaginative world that includes talking animals. Mm-hmm. And two stories we're talking about today, the talking animals cross back and forth into a world that can't quite tell whether a body is an object or represents an individual. So there, there's a lot going on about the nature of humanity, how it may be viewed if it's white or black, how it may be viewed if it's young or old, how it may be viewed if it is leisurely or if it's at work. And in fact, since the tar baby is always referred to as she or when something happens, it's, it happens to her. We also have a gender issue as it's Mr. Rabbit. I mean, it's Br'er Rabbit and Br'er Fox. These are brother rabbit, brother Fox, Uncle Remus, little boy. But the tar baby whose body is the thing that either ensnares or frees one of the characters is is completely black. It is a false image. It's understood to be false by one character and not understood to be false by another. And unlike the talking animals, the little boy, Uncle Remus, and whoever that white person may be, I'm going with your reading now, Jesse, who calls the little boy away for dinner, the little black tar baby um, is utterly silent and yet has a wonderful role to play because the fact of the tar baby's existence both captures our hero and ultimately allows for the escape of our hero. It's as if this two stories together tell us that, that the bodies of the slaves have made it, have 
captured the the spirit of America. That is not not in the good sense. That is that is it has held hostage um, the the growth of of children. It's it's they, it's made us. It's immobilized us. Our being ensnared by by slavery as an institution. And yet, if we're clever enough, we can comb it out of our hair, as it happens at the end of the second story, and maybe go beyond it. Because the stories are meant for children. And like Grimm's fairy tales, they do ultimately have a happy ending. Although I do think that the first story is a different genre than the two of them viewed together. Maybe maybe I can get you to read the first story, and, and then uh, maybe that'll intrigue people enough to to read aloud to themselves or to their own family the second story, How Mr. Rabbit Was Too Sharp for Mr. Fox. That's the second story. Would you read us uh, the wonderful Tar Baby story? I'd be delighted to give it a try. Um, I will say it, it's delightfully fun to read, no matter whether you succeed or not. That's right. The, and there's no there's no way to know whether we succeed because there's no rule here for how you translate the way it's spelled into dialect. I will right. say that I did live in New Orleans for half a year uh, in my youth. And maybe I have, I hope, enough of an ear of this that I will get it so that we get a flavor for it. But I hope you won't think of me as appropriating somebody else's dialect. I'm just trying the best I can to to read the wonderful Tar Baby story as Joel Chandler Harris seems to instruct us by his spelling. Didn't the fox never catch the rabbit, Uncle Remus? Asked the little boy the next evening. He come mighty nigh it, honey. Shows your bone, Br'er Fox did. One day at a prayer, rabbit foolin' with das calamus root. Br'er Fox went to walk and got him some tar and mix it with some turkentine and fix up a contraption, what he call a tar baby. And he tucked dish yeah, tar baby, and he her in the big road, and then he lay off in the bushes for to see what the news was going to be. And he didn't have to wait long, nutter, cause by my by, here come Br'er Rabbit, pacing down the road, lippity-clippity-clippity-lippity, there's as sassy as a jaybird. Br'er Fox, he lay low. Br'er Rabbit come prancing along, twelve, he spied a tar baby, and then he fought up his by hind legs, like he was astonished. The tar baby, she sought thar. She did. And Br'er Fox, he lay low. Morning, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. Nice weather it is morning, says he. Tar baby ain't saying nothing. And Br'er Fox, he lay low. How does your symptoms seem to sagacitate, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. Br'er Fox, he wink his eye low, slow, and he lay low. And the tar baby, she ain't saying nothing. How come you then? Is you deaf, says Br'er Rabbit, says he? Cause if you is, I can holler louder, says he. Tar baby still stay still. And Br'er Fox, he lay low. You're stuck up, that's what you is, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. And I'm going to cure you, that's what I'm going to do, says he. Br'er Fox, he sort of chuckled in his stomach, he did. But tar baby ain't saying nothing. I'm going to learn you how to talk to respectable pe- folks. If, if it's the last act, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. If you don't take off that hat and tell me howdy, I'm going to bust you wide open, says he. Tar Baby, still stay still. And Br'er Fox, he lay low. 
Br'er Rabbit keep on axing him, and the Tar Baby, she kept on saying nothing. Well, presently, Br'er Rabbit drove back with his fist, and did, he did, and blip, he took her side in their head. Right dar's war, he broke his, his molasses jug. His fist stuck, and he can't pull loose. The Tar hilt him. But Tar Baby, she stay still, and Br'er Fox, he lay low. If you don't let me loose, I'll knock you again, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. And with that, he fotcher a wipe with the other hand, and that stuck. Tar Baby, she ain't say nothing, and Br'er Fox, he lay low. Turn me loose, for I kicked the naddle stuffing out of you, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. But the Tar Baby, she ain't saying nothing. She des hilt on, and then Br'er Rabbit lose the user's feet in the same way. Br'er Fox, he lay low. Then Br'er Rabbit squall out that if Tar Baby don't turn him loose, he butter crankside. And then he butted, and his head got stuck. Then Br'er Fox, he sauntered fart, looking des as innocent as one your mammy's mockingbirds. Howdy, Br'er Rabbit, says Br'er Fox, says he. You look sort of stuck up this morning, says he. <laughs> then, he then he rolled on the ground and laughed and laughed while he couldn't laugh no more. I spec you'll take dinner with me this time, Br'er Rabbit. I done laid in some calamus root, and I ain't going to take no scoose, says Br'er Fox, says he. Here Uncle Remus paused and drew a two-pound yam out of the ashes. Did the fox eat the rabbit, asked the little boy to whom the story had been told. That's all for the tale goes, replied the old man. He moat, and then again he moatn't. Some say Judge Barr came long and loosed him. Some say he didn't. I hear Miss Sally calling. You better run long. <laughs> oh, my. <laughs> Um, I was thinking um, that maybe, yeah, the the Brothers Grimm is not the right way of thinking, but maybe it's more like more like Aesop, you know, with these sort of morality plays, tiny morality plays. Um, but the the animals here are are just uh, wonderful. <laughs> I, love, I yeah. love the animals, but I I think this the way it's told the. Like the anticipation, the anticipation. How many times does Br'er Fox lay low? <laughs> he has to hold himself down. He's chuckling a little bit in his stomach, just like me. <laughs> yeah. And then well, I'm glad I, I like the story. I'm glad you like the story. I'm oh, glad you recommended it. the story. I would make two points about that laying low, though. Mm-hmm. Um, one is there is an enormous amount of sophistication, I think, behind this story. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether the sophistication came from a, a real human being or a set of human beings that Joel Chandler Harris um, represent as an Uncle Remus or whether they came from Uncle Remus. You know, when Br'er Fox says, you look sort of stuck up this morning, that pun is delightful. But you have pointed out, Jesse, that this story uses an enormous amount of repetition, mm-hmm. right? gets us into it it rolls us into it we see growing you know first hits with one fist then another then his legs then his head you know we've got all these accumulations these crescendos but that phrase Br'er Fox he lay low well you know what to lay somebody low 
is to conquer him. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think that that phrase, Br'er Fox, he lay low, comes to have a second meaning by the end of this story. Right. Mm-hmm. Did he just hide or did he finally bring Br'er Rabbit low? Did he lay him low? <laughs> I'd also like to suggest that there is I think I've mentioned this before in our conversations. There is in West Africa a a variety of of tale called a problem tale, um, the point of which is not simply to tell the story, but to tell the story and then see what kind of conversation it motivates. Uh, these are stories that are judged not only on the text themselves, but on the text and the following discussion. It seems to me that taking the wonderful Tar Baby story by itself, what we have is one of those problem tales where, you know, the, the listener is asked to think, um, did Br'er Rabbit get away or didn't Br'er Rabbit get away? We know Br'er Rabbit's supposed to get away because, you know, Br'er Fox wants to eat another speaking creature. Mm-hmm. So he's being cannibalistic. I mean, it may be that Br'er Rabbit is a trickster and it may be that he's going to whack someone upside the head for being rude. But that's hardly, <laughs> you know, the same degree of, of villainy that cannibalism is. So we want him to get away. It sounds like he should get away, but we can't figure out how he can get away. And so the question is, is this a story that needs to end with him getting away or not getting away? It's a problem tale. Mm -hmm. And it's a problem tale not only about Br'er Rabbit's um, fate. It's a problem tale about how you tell a story. Mm. And then I think if you put it together with the story that comes right after it, you get a solution like someone actually comes up with a way of answering the problem that then settles it. And the two of them together become a different kind of story. Mm-hmm. So if that makes sense. Would you just sort of tell, remind people, because it's so well known, what what's going on in the next story? Sure. Um, and I, I want to point out that um, we see some things near the end of this one. Um, I done laid in some calamus root and you're Gwent. Gwinter gonna take no excuse, says Br'er Fox. I expect you come to dinner with me this time, right? So that's actually referring to the previous uh, story, the first in the book, in which um, basically uh, they have a very similar situation to the wonderful Terror ba- Baby story, where Mr. Fox and, uh, or sorry, Br'er Fox and Br'er Rabbit um, have this sort of dangerous relationship. Br'er Fox wants to eat Br'er Rabbit. But um, they can't quite come out and say it. So he says, I invite you over for dinner. And then Br'er Fox goes and looks in the window and he sees there's a frying pan and there's a knife. um, But there's nothing cooking. (laughs) 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 And so he makes the excuse in the in the first, which is called uh, it's an induction, um, just like uh, from Shakespeare. Right. You've got the little boy is introduced to this world uh, and these characters. Um, this induction has, uh, the calamus root is the thing that's missing, right? So I can't, he says, I, I, sorry, I can't have any chicken because I expect that's what you're cooking because I don't see anything cooking. It must be you're, you're pl- still plucking, right? Um, <laughs> I expect you're, you're going to be cooking me chicken. He says, yeah, you, you, you could think that. 
<laughs> and he said, well, I can't have no chicken without no calamus root. Right. So now we know what's going to be. This is straight out of, uh, you know, Elmer Fudd and, and uh, or I guess uh, Elmer Fudd and Bugs Bunny. This is their scenes together, you know, uh, where yep. Elmer Fudd's always hunting and and or uh, the Roadrunner and Wiley Coyote. This is the this is their sort of relationship. So when we get to the end of this one. I done laid in some calamus root, and I men are going to take no excuse. Um, and then there's a pause, and Uncle Remus has heard the call of Miss Sally, and he says, "Did the fox eat the rabbit?" Asked the little boy. That's all. That's all. Defer the tail goes. That's as far as the tail goes," replied the old man. He mounted, and he again he he mount, and he, again he mounted. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't. Um, some say Judge Bear came. Uh, Judge Bear came along and loosed him. Some say he didn't. Well, in the very next story, uh, we're introducing or with Mr. Fox and Mr. Rabbit, we find out that that's not exactly what happened, right? There's all this. Right. this it's quite different. So in the next story, Uncle Remus said the little boy one evening when he had found the old man with little or nothing to do, did the fox kill and eat the rabbit when he caught him with the tar baby? Law, honey, I ain't tell you about that," <laughs> replied the old darky, chuckling slyly. "I clear tell, I clear tell, gracious, I oughta told you dat, but the old man nod was rud. Okay, so he says, "Oh, I thought I told you that, right?" So there's a kind of um. Uh, I think I think he says I don't think he says I should have. He said I I do I I clear I should have told you that, but. But sleep, you know, Morpheus, old man Nod, yeah. was writing on my eyelids, right? So sorry, I, for, I, you but know, that's I. That's not what happened, right? No, it's not. <laughs> but so, remember, of course, these stories were not originally published in a book. They were originally published in separate times, right? Um, and and the thing is, is um, I think just seeing them back to back, it it doesn't really matter because the stories are basically illustrating really interesting concepts so um this second story is about what how mr fox is going to dispose of mr rabbit and basically the problem is is Br'er rabbit doesn't want to be eaten uh and in order to eat him Br'er fox has to kill him first and so he goes about listing all the ways that he could kill him and every time the horror comes up you know i'm gonna uh drown you i'm gonna skin you i'm gonna barbecue you i'm gonna uh do something horrible to you <laughs> basically increasingly horrible ways of dying brer fox says the same thing or sorry brer rabbit says the same same thing for lord's sake don't fling me in that there briar patch you can drown me you can hang me you can pop my eyes out you can cut my legs off Whatever you do, don't throw me in the briar patch. And as it's almost like they're not even talking to each other. So, for example, drown me. I uh, say, I ain't got no string, says Br'er Fox, says he, so I can't hang you. I speckle how to drown you, says he. Drown me, des as deep as you please, Br'er Fox, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. But do not fling me in that there briar patch, says he. They ain't no water nigh, says Br'er Fox, says he. And now I speck I had to skin you, says he. 
Skin me, Br'er Fox, says Br'er Rabbit, says he. Snatch out my eyeballs. Tear out my ears by the roots and cut off my legs, says he. But do please, Br'er Fox, don't fling me in that bare briar patch. So it, it's it's like Br'er Fox is listening to what the, the rabbit is saying and then looking well that didn't get his goat <laughs> that didn't that didn't frighten him enough so i'll see i can't i can't drown him because there's no water nearby i'll cook him oh i don't have no fire <laughs> and really the only thing the the rabbit seems to be afraid of is the briar patch because <laughs> brer fox want to hurt brer rabbit uh bad as he he can he's so he caught him by the beehive legs and slung him in right in the middle of the briar patch. Dar was a considerable flutter where Briar Rare Rabbit struck the bushes, and Brer Fox sort of hang round for to see what was gonna happen. <laughs> What's so amazing about this story is we can see it coming, right? He loves right. the briar patch. And to me as a kid, hearing these two stories together, I thought they were the greatest thing I'd ever heard. Uh, this is just amazing. Um, and I think why it's so awesome is that these are actually psychological stories for children. They're stories about psychology. Um, so in the first story, the wonderful Tar Baby story, we've actually got projection. That's, that's what's going on. Br'er Rabbit sees this Tar Baby, and we see it again and again in the story, uh, how's it go? Um, Br'er Fox, he lay low, but what did what did the tar baby say? She ain't saying nothing. She stay still, right? So every time Br'er Rabbit says something to the tar baby, which is an inanimate object, he takes offense at the lack of response, and he's projecting sort of a uh, your stuck upness to this object when in fact he's the one doing the interpretation that object has no life of its own he's doing all this infer inference about its responses but its lack of response is because it's inanimate so that that idea of this is illustrating a kind of projection is is fascinating and I, i'm sure that's why i loved it so much and the second story uh how mr rabbit was too sharp for mr fox he illustrates, I think, my favorite uh, trick as a kid, which is um, it's uh, reverse psychology, right? <laughs> Where you, you, you have an ice cream cone and your sister has finished eating her ice cream cone and she had strawberry and you have chocolate. And she says, does it taste good? <laughs> right? And I'm licking my chocolate. And I'm, mm, no, it tastes terrible. <laughs> Right? Because I don't want her to have some of my chocolate. Right? So this idea of being able to project your understanding out into the world and then have it come back to you in the wrong way, that's wonderful. And then having the idea of, of being able to outthink somebody in the way that Br'er Fox, of Br'er Rabbit does to Br'er Fox in a second. They actually are taking turns here, right? In the first one... Uh, Br'er Br'er Rabbit loses, and the second one, Br'er Rabbit wins. And I think going that, back and forth. Sorry. I think that, that, as I suggested before, it's a problem story if you just read the first one. If you put the two together, 
that that descent into danger that the Br'er Rabbit has, and then his ascent from it, literally, he's seen in the last story, the second story, up on a hill, um, gives us one of those stories of um, journey and return that we are used to seeing from all sorts of myths, whether it be um, the Odyssey or uh, some of the grim tales. The, the, the two main characters are in the inner story. I'm not talking about Remus, the little boy and Sally, right? The two main characters, um, the fox, which is from a predator species, and the rabbit, which is from a prey species, um, they both, they both um, have a certain attitude toward the tar baby. The fact is that the rabbit would not have been caught if he were not willing to give an object the status of an individual. But the fox would not be able to have dinner of the rabbit were he not willing to take an individual and reduce him to the status of an object. So although there's a swap going on, and then in the second story, the rabbit succeeds and leaves, the fact is the rabbit deserved to win because his foolishness, right, which we see, you know, you, you're being rude to me. And he whaps him on, you know, whaps the tar baby on the side of the head. Um, his foolishness, you know, it's irascible, it's unreasonable, but it's based fundamentally on seeing that people deserve respect. He deserves respect and not to be seen as an object by the tar baby. <laughs> and he gives respect first, whereas the fox does not. He objectifies, <laughs> even though clearly that's wrong because they talk. So put together, the two stories say, well, yeah, you know, there's a swap back and forth. But the clear winner is the, the, the trickster who is only mistaken in having too high a set of aspirations for how people should treat each other. This is, this is a chance for children to, uh, to see projection, but I think it's also, as you said way back when we began, Jesse, there's a moral here, and the moral is finally a good one. Even though the moral is something we can take away, as we've just made clear in going through different levels of this, there is always more to say. And remember, you can always freely access the materials discussed on these podcasts by going to sffaudio.com and clicking on the link for reading short and deep.